this morning. Would you, would you speak to us through your word and through your spirit? God, would you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning and a willingness and an openness God, that what you have to say to us God, that it sticks. God, we love you and we desire to worship you with everything that we have. So, God, would you be glorified in this place? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So really glad that you are with us this morning. We're going to finish up our series, Know. We're talking about knowing God and and what is to know God. And um, as we seek to answer that question, um, there's a a lot of answers that we could probably throw out. Uh, Some of us are more towards the emotions. Some of us, for us, it's it's an intellectual experience. Uh, We... There are so many podcasts, blogs, books, websites. We are inundated with information. And what can begin to happen is we, we know a lot of info, but we have not, been a lot of, we have not seen a lot of transformation happen in our lives. And, and this idea of knowing God, this, this whole concept um, can get lost on us. And... Um, as I was thinking about getting ready for this message this week, I thought about when I was at the police academy and I had to learn the vehicle code so that I could ruin people's days. And the vehicle code is a lot of information that I have to memorize so that I can do my job. And then I remember dating my lovely and beautiful wife, Kate, and getting to know her and getting to know information about her. And how that information didn't just, it didn't just stay in my head. I had to do something with it. I had to charm her. I had to trick her. I had to make her blind. I had to make her deaf. <laughs> and there's, there's the kind of information and there's the kind of learning that changes everything about us from the inside out. That's not just a bunch of codes, a bunch of numbers bunch of facts, but it's something that changes us from the inside out. Kate loves to watch um, TV shows or documentaries about climbing Mount Everest. We don't know a thing about climbing Mount Everest. There's a difference between watching and knowing and being a fan of, as Pastor Shelton's talked about in the weeks prior, and actually living it and actually experiencing it. And so as we're talking about no, this entire series has been, how do we take information about God into knowledge of God? How do we take learning about God into meditation and prayer before God and praise toward God? 
What happens? What needs to happen? What are some of those things? And so if you've missed any of the weeks, I'd encourage you to go on our website and uh, listen to the messages. There's notes. There's growth group questions that you can also go through uh, on your own. Obviously, we would love for you to be in community and to go through them like that, but uh, as a good refresher to go back and do that. And as I was thinking about knowing God, a verse uh, I was reading this week came to mind, and it's not our text this morning, but I want that to launch us into prayer before we go into our text. It's Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. It's, uh, it says this. This is what the Lord says. It sounds important. The wise person, person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, righteousness on the earth. I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, there are so many things that we are tempted to boast about. Our jobs, our relationships, our socioeconomic statuses, our knowledge, our involvement, our religious fervor. May we drop all of those at your feet. And may we boast in this, that you know us and you love us. You know our depths. You know the depths that we would not dare ever share with anybody. You know that and you love us. You know our weaknesses. You know our failures. You know us. You know our greatest desires. You know our greatest fears. You know our greatest troubles. And you know us. And you love us. And you care for us. May we boast in that. May our pride and joy be found not in anything but in your knowledge of us and the incredible privilege that it is to know you. May the meditations of our hearts this morning and may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, our rock, our redeemer. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Kings this morning, so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19. Let me give you 18 chapters of Bible here in about a minute. 1 Kings is a history book uh, detailing the monarchy of Israel. It starts with King David and his passing. I know we know nothing about political turmoil um, and about difficult transitions of power, but uh, David transitions into Solomon, and that was rocky, and things go well for a little bit, and Solomon loves God and worships God and serves God in power, and influence as any of us who would ever achieve power and influence should continue to serve the good of God's people and the glory of God in our positions. But things go sideways. And for those of you that have children, grandchildren, a legacy, a lineage, you know that oftentimes generational sin is a very real thing. And the generational sin of David, really, and Solomon continues on in the lineage of kings up to a divided kingdom, a split country. We don't, nothing about that. 
And it is in that context that the man Elijah rises up, a man of God, calling the people of God back to the word of God and a dependence on the spirit of God. And so that gets met with some resistance. But he is a man of great faith. He actually lives behind enemy territory. He befriends enemies. He actually ends up um, raising an enemy's uh, son from the dead. He is an incredible figure of faith. And a very famous story, 1 Kings 18, you may know it. Elijah stands up against this king and his wife who have brought in false worship to the people of God. And he says, you bring your prophets, you bring your pastors up on this mountain, and I'll come up and we'll have a little worship battle. Okay, like a little dance-off. Jeremiah knows the thing or two about like rap battles and all that. I can totally see you being that guy. That's awesome. He gets in this battle with these guys, and they, they show up, and they call their God, and their God doesn't show up. And Elijah is so confident, he begins mocking their spirituality. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God's on the toilet. Maybe, maybe your God's busy right now, you know? It's, there's a lot of things to do with your God. And he says, God, and God shows up. The God of the Bible shows up. God of Yahweh shows up in might and in power. And Elijah's like, see, this is the real God. Not your other fake gods. This is God. It's awesome for about two verses. Because then we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 and 2. That's the context. Because he does a little something else, Elijah does. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. I just told you that. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So after this little worship battle, it's like loser loses and winner takes all. Well, winner Elijah took all, including their lives. And he killed about 400 men. Wow. You know who's not happy? Jezebel, the queen, the worshiper of those false gods. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. You killed my prophets, I kill you. That is the context of 1 Kings 19, and I believe there is some nuggets there that the Lord wants to show us about what it looks like to know God when times get difficult and when circumstances are not all great. Because it is easy, is it not, to raise our hands and worship here, but then on Tuesday, it gets a little harder. And Thursday, it gets a little harder. And it's really easy to talk about God in our growth group. It's really easy. There are, there's easy places for us. There are comfortable places for us. But when things get a little more difficult and when our circumstances get a little more uncomfortable, our faith in God tends to nosedive pretty quickly. And this is what happens. Verse 3 of chapter 19. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, 
sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. It's interesting that he's afraid for his life, and that's what he prays for. You ever been in that place you don't know what you want? He says, I've had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that? Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What happened? I mean, this is four verses. This is, this is the next chapter. I'll stand up for God in a culture that doesn't love God. I'll stand up to the political powers even though they do not follow God. I will stand up for God even though there is false worship. I've had enough. I'm out. I'm done. That was good. It, was, it worked for a little bit, but now I'm out. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What happened? I believe the premise of the next verses that we're about to read and study together. Elijah comes to this place where the voices of Jezebel, the threats of Jezebel, and the voices inside him begin to be louder than the voice in the word of the Lord. And what happens when that balance gets thrown off is that we lose perspective, we lose our purpose, and we lose our faith. And what we're going to see is that the Lord meets Elijah in this moment of weakness, in this moment of faithlessness. And it's a very encouraging story for those of us that seek to know God and to have an intimate relationship with him. I, I see Elijah in some ways in this moment. This was the picture that came to mind. He's trying to pull himself up by his bootstraps and he just realized he's barefoot. You ever been in that moment? What am I going to do to fix this? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that circumstance. I don't know how to fix that difficulty. I don't know how to go through that challenge. And now I'm empty-handed. I don't have any more resources. What's up with that? That's the context of our story. Verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again, because sometimes the most holy thing we can do is take a nap. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. That's interesting. This was the end of the road for Elijah, but I guess God has a different plan. See, Elijah's done, but the Lord's preparing him. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb or Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. I believe God heard Elijah say, I am no better than my ancestors. And if you know the ancestry of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They were given food miraculously. They traveled 40 days, 40 nights, and they were in the mountain of God, at the mountain of God. God met Moses there, if you recall that story. And I feel like God is telling Elijah, yeah, you are just like your ancestors. You're going to receive the same grace. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to send you to a place, and I'm going to meet with you there. 
See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For Elijah, I'm just like my ancestors. This is going to go badly. But for God, I am going to treat you just like your ancestors. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to guide you every step of the way. But it's interesting, the different perspectives, right? It's Elijah is going, my circumstances say, God, you're not here. And God says, no, the circumstances say I'm going to show up in a mighty way. And that is where we meet Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him there. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That does not sound like a very good day. Is that really what's going on? Is that really what's happened in Elijah's life? Not really. He was given food miraculously. An angel came down and ministered to him. He defeated the prophets, and he raised someone from the dead. It's interesting what fear does to our perspective. It's interesting what difficulty does to our understanding of the faithfulness of God. We're so quick, so quick to forget. And we're so quick to trade today's difficulties for yesterday's faithfulness. We're so quick to say, you know what? You worked yesterday, but that doesn't matter. You won't work today. But he works every day, and he has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love that God is meeting him in this place, and he's listening to Elijah pray a prayer that's wrong. That's not the whole story, but that's what Elijah feels. Just a word of encouragement. God can handle your real problems. God can handle your real struggles. God doesn't need your fake piety and your fake faith. He can do a lot more transformation with a real, weak, struggling, doubting you than a fake, I'm fine, nothing's bothering me, you. Verse 11 says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why a whisper? Other than to be able to put it on a coffee mug. Why does God need to show up with a whisper? He has obviously shown up in fire before. He's obviously shown up in big and mighty ways before. He has used the elements before. Why does Elijah need a whisper? I think because the voices around him have gotten so loud. Because the circumstances around him have gotten so loud. And if we are honest, we are so busy, we are always going, we expect God to just kind of merge into our lane. Like, I'm too busy, but if you can fit in, you know, if you can fit into my schedule, then yes, we can meet. Then yes, we can talk. Yes, I can learn about you. Yes, I can know you as long as you fit into my circumstances, into my schedule, into my busyness. And God tells Elijah, no, I'm not going to compete 
with the voices around you. I need you to take a break. I need you to focus. I need you to hear me in a different way. Elijah recognizes that the voice is God. There's an intimacy there we can, we can see. They already have that. I would ask you that question. If God was to come and supernaturally speak to you, would you know what he sounds like? Would you know what you need when you need it? Are you in tune with God, with his spirit? Elijah seems to be in this moment. And um, one of the spiritual disciplines that gets often overlooked in our culture is solitude and, and silence. Dallas Willard has a quote, and he says, uh, Solitude frees us. It breaks us off from the everyday that often silences God. And Jim Elliott once said, Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. There's something so powerful when our culture and when the waves and the tide of everything around us is busy and loud to break from that and say, Lord, speak. I want to listen. Verse 14, God shows up. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It sounds like a repeat, but you know, God showed up, so life's better. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Absolutely nothing has changed. You're here. That's nice. Um, she still wants to kill me. Elijah's been on the road for 40 days. Jezebel's 39 days late. But that's not what's on his mind. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. It's been a month. And he's still freaking out. Because it doesn't matter what the realities sometimes are, right? It's how I feel. It's what I think. It's what my perspective is. And at this moment, I'm freaking out. And God, you're not showing up. Great, you showed up. Doesn't change anything. I have a verse now. Great. I'll take it to my grave. Like, Elijah's like, this, this, doesn't, this isn't making a difference. This hasn't changed anything. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, from Abel, Mahola, your guess is as good as mine, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will, be put to, uh, will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. That sounds like opening up a can. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I love it. I love this story. Yeah. God's like, yeah. Circumstance, not changing it. Your purpose, oh, that's changing. Oh, your perspective, I want to change that too. I want you to go back to the same circumstance. I want you to go back to that same difficult job. I want you to go back to that same difficult person in your life. I want you to go back to that same difficulty. But I have a new purpose for you. I need you to go anoint. Oh, and by the way, you know how you thought you were alone? You're not. There's 7,000 right alongside you. 
But when we interact with God, when we meet with God, when we know God, when we have an intimate relationship with God, maybe the difficulty is not going to go away, but he will give you a new purpose in the midst of that difficulty. And he will open up your eyes. He'll open up your mind. He'll open up our souls to have a new perspective. And maybe the difficulty will not go away and Jezebel still wants me dead, but I'm going to go back to that place because the Lord is with me. I have a new purpose. I have a new perspective. And he's with me. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to go back to that place. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm looking for God to come in. That, that, if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know it will. Because sometimes we're looking for faith to work by taking the eject button out of life, right? We're just looking for him to get us out of stuff. And it doesn't work. And so then we think, okay, faith must not work. But maybe, maybe we've been looking at our relationship with God wrong the entire time. And what we see from Elijah is when you go to him, it does make a difference. When you know him, it does make a difference. A relationship with God will forever change everything and every day of your life into eternity. But maybe not the way we thought. And so some encouragement for us as we are finishing the series, no. I want to take us to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 as we finish off. There's a verse there that, that I hope and I pray and I'm confident will encourage us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. Go look at a sunset. And that he rewards those who seek him. Now that's hard. That he rewards those who seek him. Sometimes we, we see God like we see law enforcement. I've seen this in, in, in my uh, line of work. Uh, no one calls 911 because their kid graduated top of the class and, you know, his birthday, 15th birthday, everybody's having a great time and, and, and they want me there. Okay? No, one, no one wants the cop there at a, during a good time. Most, time. most of the time people call 911 and they want me there, but they don't want me there. You know what I mean? Like, like I need you, but I wish you didn't have to be here kind of thing. And we kind of treat God like that. Like, I need you, but I kind of wish I didn't. <laughs> and I go to you because I have a problem. And maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe I wish I didn't have to tell this. We call that confession. <laughs> You're telling, hey, this is what's wrong. And we don't really like that. This verse tells us that when we go to him, there is reward there. There is goodness there. There is joy there. There is something to be found there. And he has a posture toward us that is not against us, but for us. And unfortunately, there's been so much false teaching in modern evangelical Christianity that we hesitate to say things like, God rewards those whom follow him. All right, we're like, well, well, he doesn't mean you're going to get rich and you know, have a gold toilet and fly a, a private jet. And you know what happens? Then we go the other way. And we look at God like he's a cop and he'll help you, I guess, because he has to. No. He loves you. He cares for you. First Peter says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Or second Peter. No, first Peter. Okay, um, 
and I get the privilege of having friends all over the country, and they call us, and it's great stuff, and they share how, how life is going, how ministry is going, and we had one just a few weeks ago call from, from uh, another part of the country and, and say that they're really struggling because they feel like they've let God down, and since they've let, let God down in that moment a couple years ago, everything in life, it's kind of like a yo-yo effect. It's like karma. Like, I've let God down, and, and now he's not for me. And, and I know I should seek him, and I know I should want his will for my life, but I, I just feel like I've messed up. And, and they're, they're in ministry. I mean, they, they, they're ministering to people, but they have this feeling in their hearts that God is not happy with me, so my life is going badly. I've messed up, and now I'm just kind of trying to get back to even. I don't know if this is a word for anybody this morning, but God's not mad at you. I I don't know if it's going to speak to anybody, but God's not angry at you. There is a great sermon called Sinners at the Hands of an Angry God, but that is not the reality for the Christian. You're a sinner in the hands of a merciful, loving, gracious, kind, caring Father. And that's His posture toward you. And when we seek Him, There is reward. There is joy. We're so hesitant to say that. God is for you, not against you. And if he does not condemn you, then who will? The Lord is willing, eager to meet with us and to know us and for us to know him. And it's difficult in our culture and in our climate, in our context. You know, for many of us, most of us, we live in the suburbs. We've got it made. We can get our paper straw. We can get it mobile ordered. Everything is comfortable. Everything is good. It's so difficulties. We don't know what to do with them. It's hard for us to take those in. And we, we, need, to, we need to learn and we need to grow in those countercultural rhythms of life that say stop. And you need to be silent, and you need to be alone, and you need to hear from God. Because if I don't, and I just keep going and going and going, it can get so easy. We've talked about this in weeks past, the busyness, the exhaustion. It can get so easy to just go with the flow. And then before you realize it, you don't know God. You don't know who he is. You don't know what he has for you. And then circumstances get difficult, and fear creeps in. And doubt creeps in. And now I'm pulling, up my, I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I've, I'm barefoot. And I've got nowhere to go. And when we get to that place, we'll see ourselves as spiritually dry and cynical and distant. But he rewards those who seek him. May we never get to Elijah's place. In a cave, everything is horrible. I want to die. But you know the good news? Even when we do find ourselves in those places, God meets us there. And he rewards those who seek him in good times and in difficult times. And it's never too late and it's never too early to begin to have an intimate relationship with the God who made you, who loves you, who created you, who rescued you.
It's the difference between knowing the vehicle code and knowing your spouse. It's the difference between watching it on TV and living it out. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing him and letting him know the inward, most difficult depths of your soul. He'll meet you there, and he is faithful to bring you to himself. Amen? Let's pray. This is from A.W. Tozer. Lord, teach us to listen. The times are noisy. Our ears are weary with a thousand sounds continuously attacking. Give us the spirit of your prophet Samuel when he said, Speak, your servant hears. Let us hear you speaking in our hearts. Let us get used to the sound of your voice that its tones may be familiar when the sounds of earth die away. And the only sound that we recognize, the only sound that we seek, the only sound that satisfies is the music of your speaking voice. We cannot do this on our own, Jesus. So we ask for your spirit to fill us, your spirit to empower us, your spirit to send us out. We are confident that we are in your hands that will come to pass. And it's in that confident name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we continue to worship our God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever.